What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode 16 of season 3 of So What, hosted by your pal, your buddy, your friend, Isabella Rosner. The time has come for the last episode of the season. Can you believe it? It's been a long but absolutely lovely ride full of embroidery, weaving, applique, and quilting from all places and time periods. What a delightful journey it has been! If you listened to the last episode, the mini-ep about Maori textiles, you may recall that I discussed what's next for this here podcast. If you didn't listen to the episode or don't remember what I said, here's a quick recap. This marks the last formal season of the podcast. But this is not the end of So What? I will be back every so often with new episodes, some with just me spouting some historic needlework goodness at you, and some interviews with needlework folks of all kinds. I need a bit of a rest after these three very chunky seasons, but expect me back in your ears sometime soon. And in the meantime, I'll still be very present on the So What social media pages and website, so contact me and interact with me and this little pod that way, please, if you want. You don't have to. There's no pressure. But if you want to, I'll be there. Now, I should probably tell you who this season's final interview is with. Today's episode is an interview with Stephanie Valencia, Program Director of the Social Justice Sewing Academy, a nonprofit organization that aims to empower individuals through textile art. I think that SJSA is an organization that perfectly encapsulates all that textiles are and can do in the 21st century. I think hearing from and learning more about the organization is the perfect way to end this season, and I'll get into why that is in a few moments. First, a brief social media spiel. You know it, you love it, you will miss it when it's gone, I think. Images of what Stephanie and I talk about today are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at So What Podcast, and on our website, SoWhatPodcast.com. Across all platforms, you will find links to the Social Justice Sewing Academy's social media presence, their website, and the book they've published. Also, I am obsessed with the fact that between the phrases So What, Social Justice Sewing Academy, and Social Media, I've said various iterations of the word so like a billion times in the past minute. Iconic. We love it. Okay, back to business. Let me tell you about the Social Justice Sewing Academy. Here's the statement on the Who We Are and What We Do section of their website. Quote, Founded in 2017, the Social Justice Sewing Academy, SJSA, is a nonprofit organization that aims to empower individuals to utilize textile art for personal transformation, community cohesion, and to begin the journey toward becoming an agent of social change. Prior to COVID-19, youth workshops and programs were at the core of the organization. Through a series of hands-on workshops in schools, prisons, and community centers across the country, SJSA used social justice and art education to bridge artistic expression with activism. Many of our young artists made art that explored issues such as gender discrimination, mass incarceration, gun violence, and gentrification. The powerful imagery that youth created in cloth demonstrated their critique of issues plaguing their local and larger communities. These quilt blocks are then sent to volunteers around the world to embellish and embroider before being sewn together into quilts to be displayed in museums, galleries, and quilt shows across the country. 
While youth programming remains at the heart of SJSA, the civil rights movement of 2020 and the concurrent COVID-19 pandemic significantly impacted SJSA's programming. Due to no longer being able to provide in-person programming and limited virtual youth workshops, SJSA launched a series of new initiatives to critically respond to the times. With each project, SJSA bridges the differences between age, race, and socioeconomic status to facilitate conversations about and encourage action toward social justice issues in households across the country. End quote. SJSA has a lot of different projects going on, so I'll give you a little overview of them all. There's the Remembrance Project, which, according to SJSA, is a community art project that creates activist art banners for local and national organizations to publicly display for solidarity in the fight for social justice and remembrance of those lost to violence. The project remembers those lost to authority violence, officer-involved shooting, police brutality, etc., community violence, victims of gang violence, neighborhood or family, drive-by shooting, etc., race, hate crimes, racially motivated, etc., and gender and sexuality, violence against LGBTQ+, domestic violence, missing murdered indigenous women, etc. SJSA also makes memorial quilts. They are, quote, textile memorials for families who have lost a loved one to violence. They reflect the life of the person in a quilt created using textiles or photos given to us by their family. Your participation allows for the families of the honoree to receive a quilt that celebrates the life of their loved one and brings our community together in support of a shared mission of social justice. We are honoring the loss of human life and ensuring that families who receive a quilt know that they are supported and their loved ones will never be forgotten. End quote. And there's the community quilts. SJSA says about them, quote, Throughout the creation of our quilts, we are focused on community. The creation of an SJSA quilt is the living definition of the quilt itself, layers of community that come together to create. The quilt top is the students and young people across the country using their voice and personal expression to create the message we all see. The quilt back is the collection of organizers, sponsors, and volunteers that support the community outreach and stand behind the organization. The stuffing is comprised of donations and materials from fellow artists and vendors collected to create the quilts. The stitching is the international community of volunteers that embroider and embellish our work, echoing and amplifying our artists' messages and bringing it all together. Finally, the piecing and binding are the volunteer sewers and long-arm quilters that provide the final assembly and finishing touches to complete the quilt. End quote. The Social Justice Sewing Academy also runs the Business Incubator, a six-month virtual program aimed at developing and supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs, and the Anti-Racist Guidebook, which is pretty self-explanatory and which was written by SJSA volunteers for the SJSA community and beyond. So yeah, lots and lots of info there. But as you can see, SJSA is doing a huge variety of important, groundbreaking, and empowering work, all of which utilize textiles. Glorious, right? Yes, yes, it's glorious. Stephanie Valencia, who I'm speaking to in this interview, is a director of programming for SJSA, and that includes planning and scheduling workshops, exhibitions, and more. She has her BA in criminal justice from Weber State University and works with the probation and parole population in Napa County, California. 
She also engages in teaching and leading workshops with young people and facilitated the amazing workshop that created the community quilt entitled Reparations. I realize this is a much heftier intro than I usually do for interview episodes, but before we get into it, I want to briefly explain why I wanted to bring SJSA onto the show. I'll talk about that more in depth in the episode's conclusion, but for now I will say that, inevitably, the study of historic needlework, that specifically done in Europe and North America, which are the areas I focus on in my work, is often one that focuses on the privileged few. This is inevitable, as only those with money, time, and resources could afford to spend their time stitching decorative embroidery. And on top of that, the needlework that survives tends to survive because it was used or handled rarely. So it's not only that decorative needlework tended to be the purview of the privileged few, it's that needlework made by not those people has mostly not survived because it was used heavily or because history has not considered it valuable. This podcast has inevitably focused on the needlework production of those with a lot of privilege. The Social Justice Sewing Academy counters that narrative of needlework being a space of and for privilege. The SJSA shows not only all that textiles can do, but also how they can create a better world, a different world. We can and we have learned a lot from historic needlework, who made it and why and where and how, but now we gotta talk about this lineage of needlework and how it's brought us here to an organization that uses the stitching techniques we know so well and needlework's naturally collaborative nature to give voice to the disenfranchised and to enact change. So now that I've stood on my soapbox for a bit, let's get into the interview. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. I am incredibly excited to talk to you, to learn from you. I feel like I've been eyeing up SJSA for a long time, desperate to have one of you come on the podcast and talk about your brilliant work. So thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having us and for having such an interest in the work that we do. It's always nice to know that we're reaching different regions of the country. I mean, you've reached beyond the country. I'm bringing the word of SJSA to England. Everybody, the British Isles are getting in on it. (laughs) (laughs) That is so exciting. So yes, beyond the country and to the world. What is the Social Justice Sewing Academy exactly? What are its origins? And what do you do? Those are big questions, but I kind of would love the overall spiel. So the Social Justice Sewing Academy was founded in 2017 by a young woman named Sarah Trail. So Sarah was big in the sewing world from a very young age. Um, She had some breakthrough videos called Sew with Sarah, a book, DVD, made pajama pants, taught classes at Joann's. She had mentors in the sewing world that were you know, amazing that helped her really be able to create things at a really young age. So by, you know, 10, 11, 12, she was designing patterns for fabric and things like that. So you would say that she was a huge part of the sewing community. Um, So when she was about 16, Trayvon Martin got murdered and they are like 20 days apart in age. And he was walking through, you know, like a suburb in America So growing up as a young black middle-class woman, she really identified with the fact that that could have been her, Mm. like her safety within the community that she was living in. And, you know, she, she had this really 
great stable upbringing. She wanted to do something. She was still underage. Her mom was like, no, you are not going to protest. You know, that that's for adults. You can make those adult decisions when you're older, but it's not, it's not happening at your age. So she wanted to create something that would really, you know, just be a cathartic experience for her where she could show how she felt um, as well as, you know, exhibit some of those emotions and show the world um, the problem that existed. So she tells the story that she went to like her sewing circles and she tried to talk about her feelings for Trayvon. And for the first time she felt shut down. Mm. Um, the people that were there that so readily listened to everything she had to say before and engaged with her pretty much shut her down. Mm. So she created her first art quilt uh, well, not art quilt, but art quilt that was social justice bound with meaning to her. Mm. Um, it was no longer like this random cat or something. She made yeah. <laughs> a portrait of Trayvon Martin. Mm. And when she went to enter that along with her other quilts in shows, the sewing community shunned her. Mm. They would not accept the piece of art that held the most meaning to her. And she was devastated mm -hmm. like beyond devastated and she really could not understand why she was accepted when she was silent mm. but not accepted when she was trying to make a statement and show the piece that held so much meaning to her um so at that time she started um really at berkeley mm -hmm. and she got a grant from Berkeley to teach a summer program about youth art. Um, and that's really where SJSA stemmed from was she had like a whole summer program with like six or seven kids. And she taught like critical race theory oh, yes. to these young, these young um, kids. And then they worked on quilts. So that was the first Berkeley workshop um, that she held and it just grew so she she grew it to the program that it is now so sjsa's main job or mm -hmm. overview is that we work with youth to activate their voices and create textile activism art so we have these workshops we go into title one schools we go into um juvenile detention centers. We've gone into a couple jails. We work with disenfranchised communities that don't have access to art programs and that face a lot of trauma in their day-to-day -day life. And we go in and we ask, you know, what is social justice to you? And each person is able to create a piece of work that is meaningful to them. So there's no theme usually. The vast array of art that we get is always impressive, but it's always very telling about how people who are a little bit more privileged are able to focus on things like environmentalism, where people who are disenfranchised and come from, you know, rougher areas have to focus on staying alive. Totally. Absolutely. Like that's their main social justice concern. So as an over, like to wrap it all up, we work with youth to have a voice um, because so often youth voice is silenced and they are really the future. They're innovative, they're creative, they're genuine and passionate. So, you know, working with this youngest young generation is really enlightening. 
Thank you so much. I loved hearing about it because I actually had no idea about the origins. So thank you. Really adds some real heft to my belief that teenage girls are going to save the planet. Um, (laughs) Because I just, I think they're just great. Um, But what a powerful thing that Sarah Trail was a teenager and that she was able to, she has been able to help enfranchise through textiles so many people and so many voices. Who is part of SJSA besides you and Sarah? Like who makes up the Social Justice Sewing Academy community? So one of the really unique things about SJSA is that it is completely volunteer run. So, so often, you know, nonprofits do branch out into paying their staff. We're not there yet, but um, I don't know if we will be in the future. I'm not quite sure what Sarah's vision is, but even the core team, so Sarah herself, me, Lauren, um, and the other individuals that make up the core team, we all have full-time professional jobs. So we Mm. work 40, 50 hours a week. Um, And then we handle all things SJSA. Um, We're able to like shuffle things around. Luckily, um, most of us are fortunate enough to be able to work from home. So we can, you know, answer a couple emails here or there if needed. But um, it's all volunteer run. So we have the people that come out to our sew days that really help to make the quilts and the banners that we're producing. Um, They're highly paid professionals. We have one woman who's, a neuroscientist, one who's a veterinarian, a couple retired RNs. Um, So these individuals are donating their time and -hmm. their talents um, to SJSA. And it's, you know, when you look at it on the scale of the amount of volunteer hours that come in to to be able to make this organization run, it's really impressive to know that so many people are invested in who we are and what we do, because it's one thing to volunteer for a couple hours a month, but to volunteer your time and your talents, you know, upwards of 16 hours that, that has a different impact. Um, And then one of the things that's really great about SJSA is that we run on an intergenerational model. So the kids make the art. The kids have the voice of what they're passionate about and what they feel is important in today's society. And then it gets passed on to someone who is generally middle-class, privileged, the adult in the situation. And Mm. that person is sent, you know, directions from the kid of, you know, the vision that they have for their block and the statement of why that's important to them. And... I don't know if you embroider, but embroidery is quite process. So yes. the volunteers embroider and they um, have that time that they sit with that piece of art. And so many of them will send letters back just talking about how eye-opening certain things are for them. Like they'll get a, a block on Black Lives Matter and they're like, my upbringing and my life has me really detached from the realities that a lot of these young kids face. So we're bridging that gap. We're just bridging the demographic gap Mm -hmm. that exists in the sewing world with the kids. Um, So they create that and then we piece it all together and then it goes on show. But I think the, the real highlight is that the adults are learning from the kids. I mean, 
you could see my face right now. Nobody who's listening yeah. could see my face right now, but I'm all like the big eye emoji. I am so like overwhelmed. What a beautiful, powerful thing that mm, I had no idea about the sort of multi-generational, intergenerational working process and the multi like socioeconomic standing kind of uh, intersections. What an amazing thing that it's, I just think it's so cool that the adults, the stitchers are learning from the artists. I mean, the stitchers are also artists, but that there is a, there is an intense multi-level collaboration going on, but it means that the children are not limited by, you know, I'm sure a lot of those, I'm sure a lot of the kids will gain the stitching skills later, but they don't need to be worried about not knowing how to sew, not having the time or patience to embroider, that they can have their voices heard just through expressing themselves. Mm. And will we, you know, we really want the kids to learn and be passionate about embroidery and sewing. The model that we have set now really Mm -hmm is able to share a message with the most amount of people and kids do get really overwhelmed if they hear I know for me when I first joined SJSA and mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna have to sew because I'm not a sewist I was really overwhelmed and it's about finding a place for every person that wants to be involved and highlighting on their talents so you don't have to come to us with a vast knowledge of sewing you don't have to come to us with a vast knowledge of social justice. It's just a willingness to participate and to help make an impact on young lives and the community. So we will find a place for every person that wants to be involved based on their talents. It's limitless. You don't have to fit a certain set of criteria to fit in in this organization. That is so rad. Also, just like thank you to everybody who is involved. Thank you to you and to everybody else who works on an exclusively voluntary basis. That is amazing to have a full-time job and dedicate your free time to this important work. So thank you. And thanks also for dedicating your free time to recording this right now. Thank you. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but I appreciate it. I'm super excited to be here. Your organization gives me a lot of hope. It is such a, um, beautiful and powerful and kind of just like heartening thing in that people are learning from each other of all ages and of all life experiences, but everybody gets to shine in the process. Mm, Yes, I live. Um, I'm just having a great time. Can I ask a logistical question? Sure. Thank you. Is it, is the Social Justice Sewing Academy, I know it's California based. Is it California exclusive or are things broadening or are they not broadening because of COVID? What's the scope? So SJSA is based out of California, but we are Mm. not limited to California. So we've done a lot of work with different states. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this podcast is probably this one. And then um, Sarah did an interview with some like magazine for, from Switzerland so Ooh. we are starting to, you know, make that international scope. Um, but really, we will work with kids wherever we're asked to come. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of times if we have like a big show, like, or a, 
opening exhibition at a museum, they'll ask for someone to fly out and fly us out to do a workshop with the kids there. And we've actually designed like a train the trainer curriculum that we're rolling out. So anyone that's truly wants to be invested in SJSA can go through this like 12 week self paced um, course that um, our director put together and they can become a certified workshop facilitator for SJSA, which means they now have the the knowledge and the skill to go in and teach not only social justice, but art and um, textile theory and how to link the two together. So we're really trying to be able to reach the nation in a different way because, you know, we can't continue to grow with Sarah's schedule already overloaded. Mm. So it's we need to have those facilitators that are willing to volunteer their time and energy to go in to help these kids so that we can continue to become a larger organization and make more of an impact. How cool. I want to take, I want to become a facilitator. So I would love to know more about your and uh, SJSA's thoughts on the connection between stitching and social change. These are big questions, but I'm curious about things like, how do you think textiles can lead to things like personal transformation, community cohesion, empowerment, and advocacy? And a bigger question perhaps is, do you think, or does the organization think textiles are better or different than other art forms to help with this connection between stitching and social change? Sorry, those are chunky questions. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I think that the connection really between stitching and social change um, comes from the amount of time that is truly spent. So mm-hmm. I think Sarah once said, like, make every stitch count. So I don't know if you're familiar, we've launched a new project and it's not with the youth, but it's with adults. It's called the Remembrance Project. Yes, so it's not on Instagram. Vi- yeah, violence is a huge part of American culture, mm-hmm. um, whether it's domestic violence, police violence, community violence, um, racial violence. It is very ingrained in America to the point that we're almost really desensitized from it. So we launched this project called the Remembrance Project. And what it is, is it's a memorial, a traveling memorial Mm -hmm. to the individuals who have lost their lives to systems of violence that exist in America today. What are we doing to honor people whose lives were stolen due to police shootings, due to stray bullets, Mm -hmm. due to abusive boyfriends? Like how are we taking care of their families and how are we honoring their names? Mm -hmm. And we just stopped because we didn't have an answer. We weren't doing it. So to answer the question, like how, how does stitching form social change? Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you're sitting with that piece of art. We give the volunteer a name and anyone in the nation that has some form of like art skills, sewing skills in the slightest can sign up and we send the dimensions, but they're assigned the name. They do the work. They do the research of who Mm -hmm. this individual was and they create a personalized block for them. So as they're sitting there and they're stitching the name, whether they choose to embroider it or cut it out in letters, um, we've been told by volunteers, like it's really heavy and they recognize that the work that they're doing 
will lead to some form of advocacy, to lead to some form of social change, to bring awareness and even honor the individual. So Sarah, along with Teresa, um, an SJSA volunteer, she wrote a book um, called Stitching Stolen Lives. Mm. And it is like the tabletop book that goes along with our whole remembrance project. So in the book, we have a lot of beautiful photos of the banners. And we also had interviews with the families of some of the individuals who li- whose lives were stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so often in the media, we hear about the negative things about people and we hear a lot of information that surrounds their death. Um, but you rarely hear about their lives. So we wanted to personalize the people that we put in the book and really give the audience time to get to know this person. So you'll read stories about from a mom that talks about how their son came down every day for bacon and ice cream or some, you know, random things that that's a highlight and a memory for them or how the world loved their smile or how this individual was a coach and he reached out and, you know, taught young disenfranchised kids how to play soccer. So whatever it is that is their personal story is what's shared in the book. Um, And then it also has the pictures of the quilts of remembrance that the families were presented. Um, And then it goes on into another part where you kind of get to know some of the members of the team. Mm. And then there's a third part that um, talks about some of the different community youth quilts that we have and um, has highlights of artist statements um, surrounding different blocks. So it's a really great book that really gives you the opportunity to get to know some of the people who were, whose lives were stolen and what SJSA does as an organization. That is amazing. And what a beautiful, you know, concrete product that people can own and get to know not only the lives that were stolen, but the people who have made this kind of textile regeneration of, of them and of who they are possible. I think sewing is unique because we do ask that things usually be hand sewn or Mm -hmm. embroidered by hand, not on a machine. Mm -hmm. So unlike other like painting, like you can easily like quickly just write somebody's name with a paintbrush. But when you are sitting one stitch at a time and you have thousands of stitches over and over again, just really sitting with the work of who a person was or what the meaning of that block means, or you're holding a block about child hunger from a sixth grade workshop and you're stitching down, you know, that empty bowl. Like it's just so time consuming and the amount of like effort that it takes to stitch really leads people to connect because of how, you know, that time structure. So I think that textile art is unique in that, but it tends to be a little bit more time consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the like, inter- it allows for the intergenerational model. Yeah. So the, the kids, you know, are able to create their piece and they glue down the fabric and then it gets sent to the next person. So because there's so many different hands touching it, 
it's really leading to this sense of community um, and knowledge that's getting passed around because it it can be enlightening like to know it's heartbreaking and enlightening for somebody who's disconnected to know some of the issues that young people face or to really be able to see the vastness of gun violence in America. Um, so it, it really leads to a community model because there's so many different components to textile art. You know, there's the creation of the art piece itself. There's the applique. Mm -hmm. Then there's the binding and the piecing and the long arming. So it's like just right there, you have five different community members that have touched one piece of art. Um, and because we do break things down into different tasks with the textile art, it's able to touch those five different hands. We don't have one person embroider the block, bind, piece, and long arm. It goes mm -hmm. to four different individuals after it's been created. The, the idea of textiles being quite time-consuming the kind of deliberateness that you need to make each stitch comes up a lot on this podcast. I talk about it. Guests talk about it. When I ask them about what they think the role of needlework is in today's world, there's this idea of textiles as this, um, as, as being calming in, in how time consuming they are and laborious that you really have to, you know, just kind of sit with this thing in front of you and make each stitch. But I don't think I haven't, and I don't think anybody else has really talked about this idea of labor and, and time consuming, the time consuming nature of textiles as um, allowing one to really sit and learn from not only the textile, not only the stitching, but the actual content of the textile itself that you do have to sit hour upon hour. And when you're making a block about somebody who's died because of gun violence. You have to sit and think about that person, the society in which we live, the fact that we are a very violent society and country, all of these things that will just swirl around your head as you spend hour upon hour stitching. The textiles also work so well with all of this because there is the binding together of everything. There is like a literal representation of um, community cohesion whether it's community in terms of your actual neighborhood or the, your school or community, people who are stitching these blocks for the Remembrance Project, people coming together for um, a, a shared purpose. Does the Social Justice Sewing Academy look to or engage with quilts of the past for inspiration or contemporary quilts and quilt makers like people like Bisa Butler or Latifa Safir and G's Bend quilters? Is there an engagement with and a thinking about um, other quilt making that's happened historically or in the present? So the answer is yes and yes. So <laughs> really it just depends on the style of the quilt that we're going for. Mm -hmm. So the one that I told you I led the workshop for um, the critical race theory reparations quilt. Yes. That quilt, we really looked to traditional quilting and piecing. Mm -hmm. um, to create a look because the idea was like, this is his, a history lesson. So we wanted something kind of civil war era, yes. um, kind of that look. Um, so when, you know, fabric was purchased, the piecing design was created. Um, we looked towards the past for inspiration. Um, and then you have young artists that come in and 
they really looked up to Bisa Butler. Mm-hmm. Like her, you know, we can talk about color theory. We can talk about this isn't quilting. This isn't sewing. This is art. And yeah. it becomes a lot more welcoming. And, you know, with her being breaking through into the quilting and the art community, it has really led some of that change in the way that youth view this as an art form. Yeah. So, you know, we, we always look for, to Bisa. Um, and then when it comes to Latifah, she mm-hmm. actually made two beautiful quilts for Stephen Taylor's grandma. So the second part of our remembrance project are the remembrance quilts. So not only are we creating this living memorial that can travel to bring awareness, mm-hmm. we are also taking personal items from individuals who were murdered by police and had their lives stolen unjustly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are taking these personal items, asking for volunteer quilters within our community to create a tangible piece for the family. Because so often, like, you know, you hold on to their favorite shirt for a while. And then right. eventually you, you move, it goes in storage, it gets dusty, you know, we wanted to give them something that they could hold on and remember their loved one by forever. So Latifah has made two quilts for grandma Addie, who is Stephen Mm. Taylor's grandma. And we have engaged other quilters as well. So it's it's like, you know, that community um, of individuals who really work with SJSA and, you know, Beast is an art quilter or an artist. I don't think she considers herself a a quilter, Mm -hmm. Um, but she really has posed as inf- inspiration to countless young kids. And I don't know if she'll ever even know that, but she truly is an inspiration. What a great time. Again, nobody can see, nobody's going to be able to see my responses to you, but I hope that everybody knows that as you were speaking, my hands were everywhere. My hands were on my face. I was doing the chef's kiss action. I'm just, yes. I love, I love that all. I love all of what you said so much. I'm, I feel like I'm Bisa Butler's. I feel like we're all Bisa Butler's number one fan, but I feel like my existence is just to like love her work forever. Um, so I am so happy. And I, I feel like I knew this deep down, but it's so nice to hear that so many young people are inspired by her and not only her brilliant work, but the fact that she is making quilting mainstream and you know, Latifah Safir, her work. And like, I think every, all these artists are so brilliant. And the fact that they are not only using their skill to make art that they're actually, you know, unintentionally or intentionally, like helping spread the word about quilting and the power of, you know, like quilting the black experience or that they Mm -hmm. are using these textiles to create a remembrance quilt for those who have been killed by gun violence and systemic racism and police violence. And we can keep going on that list that what a beautiful thing that is. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And you know, representation is so critical. So to see a black artist be successful, to see a black quilter be successful, and even to watch Sarah be successful mm. in this is, has an impact that I don't think we recognize yet. So, you know, growing up in a predominantly white um, environment, Mm -hmm. as I grew up later, I I was asked the question of, 
when did you have your first black or Hispanic teacher? And my answer is 11th grade. So it's a question of representation because young people can't connect or form like really form the ideas that they belong in a certain space and can have a certain future if they don't see people that are like them accomplishing that as well. So like the idea of me being a teacher was not something that really ever formed in my, in my young, you know, six-year-old mind. Mm. So eight-year-old mind, I'm, I'm sure it was there at six, but then as you grow older, you kind of realize like where you are in a certain space. So yeah. I think to have the representation of black artists that are trailblazers in their own art form is going to have a lasting impact on the communities of color when it comes to textile art. I think so too. And I'm incredibly excited to see how it unfolds and where it goes and what kind of art textile art making will happen in the next few years mm-hmm. and decades. When it comes to textiles, it is it does feel like a very exciting and hopeful and um, curious time to be alive. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see what happens. So coming to you specifically, Stephanie, what are your favorite textile objects. You can pick multiple ones. You can just pick one. But as somebody who engages with quilts and with needlework of all sorts in a in an administrative and teaching capacity, I would love to know what kind of stuff, it could be historic or contemporary, that you find inspiration in or that, that bring you joy. So this question is a little bit challenging for me because I did not grow up in the sewing world. Mm-hmm. And I'm recently kind of engaged in it. Like I said, we find volunteer space for every individual in SJSA based on their their talents, not mm-hmm. what they can or can't do. Mm-hmm. So I personally am not a sewer. But um, as working with youth in workshops, one of the things that I have really started to fall in love with is like, I, I love hand-dyed fabrics. I love batiks. And I have a newfound passion for velvets. Um, Yes. Um, But so those, those would be like the feel like texture and look type things. Um, I'm really appreciative of the geese bend quilts. I, I really love the, the piecing, the imperfection in it. Um, I've recently taken like a Boro class, which was amazing. Um, So this is my, that's my newfound passion. So I'm trying to like really kind of break in and um, find my place in the textile type world. Um, But for me, Bisa, Bisa has been a big inspiration as well. Her play on color. um, I got the chance to see some of her work up close Mm -hmm. and it's like, you look at it and it's just like, how did you make a hand look so good out of pink and like green fabric? Like I, I, it's amazing. So just seeing her art, um, is, is phenomenal. Um, I think my favorite piece of actual textile art would be, um, Bisa's art piece with the Central Park Five. Hello, a little note here. Uh, Stephanie and I both get the name of this quilt wrong. It's actually called Southside Sunday Morning, and it does not depict the Central Park Five. Okay, bye. Yes. Um, that that one is one of my top 
favorites of all time. An iconic choice. Yes. Yes. So as far as, you know, that goes, that would be that, but yeah. I love that. I mean, what did it like? I textiles are so exciting. I just feel like Mm -hmm. you're in such a good position because like part of the joy of textiles is like every single culture across all time has had, has textiles. So there's just like so much to know and mm-hmm. think about and explore what you're clearly doing, which I love because I had an episode like two weeks ago about Boro and Sashiko and like recycling textiles, which we love. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's just so much out there. But I do think that Bisa mm-hmm. Butler's work is like an incredibly good like way to get in to mm-hmm. like quilting specifically, but textiles in general. And I think that lots of people are coming to and finding textile art through through her and through the fact that she's becoming mainstream in her work is too and that people are realizing oh like textiles don't have to be just like my t-shirt or like what my grandma's cross stitch it can be everything and anything in between big question but I'm actually really excited to get your thoughts on this because SJSA is like so of this time and I think it could have been created at any point in time like it speaks to not only America in 2022, the world in 2022, but it can, it speaks to obviously all of American history and a lot of, you know, the history that came before that. But I'm, I'm excited to get your thoughts on this. So big question, what do you think the role of needlework is in today's world? So I think that needlework holds the power to really engage and bring communities together. So historically, it acted as that in some cultures as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if we look at it that way in modern society, that we'll be able to um, use it to do things like SJSA is right now, like bridge gaps to bring different skill levels together. Um, because textiles, you know, do have the ability to be broken down into different pieces of the process. Um you don't have to have a full level of expertise in everything textile to complete a beautiful piece of work. You just have to have the ability to build connections Mm -hmm. um, and and form a community. And then I also think that it's, you know, a powerful tool um, that can really be used to bring awareness. And I think that we're in a critical place um, where I'm on this like group, like young millennial quilters, And they're discussing like how important needlework has always been and how, you know, it's just not viewed with any value and how they're changing it. Like without needlework, we wouldn't have clothing. We wouldn't have blankets. So it's like all these things that are now just seen as industrial luxuries Mm. all began with needlework. So I think that it's just going to be a critical part of moving forward as women reclaim an art that, you know, kind of was taken by men and, you know, kind of streamlined with the industrial process, but they're reclaiming that. So you see websites like Etsy, um, where people are doing hand needlework. We're reclaiming that industry of art and labor for ourselves. And we're starting to realize how much power is in it. And using Mm -hmm. that to make an impression and market ourselves. Great answer. I think that that is so true. I think that that agency is 
so accurate and very heartening to see and just powerful to witness. I also think your first point about connection is really Mm -hmm. important and good because SJSA is making connections between people of different life experiences and skill levels and ages and socioeconomic standings and all this stuff. But in the, in the connecting of people working on the same project, people are actually connecting even more than that. They're connecting with the fabric they're working with. They're connecting pieces of fabric themselves. They're connecting different blocks together. It's so many layers of material and human connection. And I think Mm -hmm. that each stitch is like a pretty good representation of of that coming together of people that SJSA is making possible. How can people learn more about SJSA's work and do you have anything you'd like to promote on behalf of them? So I would urge every person to come out to our Instagram, our Facebook, or our webpage. Um, So each one kind of serves a different function. The Instagram shows the block and some of the finished products that we're making, as well as, you know, holds, has the stories that we record for the different events that we go out. The Facebook has a learning community that has some little like curated units where you can learn about um, colorism, or you can learn about how to be an ally. Um, You can learn, you know, about just different issues that um, face us with racism today. And then on our website, you can actually sign up to participate in our remembrance project. So um, we currently have over 2000 names sitting in our database that are unassigned. So unfortunately with volunteer activism in social justice, when we see something that's broadcast on the media, like the murder of Ahmaud Audrey, or we see the murder of George Floyd, we get an influx of volunteers that are willing to show up and do the work. But mm. as that media coverage dies down, so does the, the amount of people that are volunteering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we really want to create a memorial and to remember all these different individuals whose lives were stolen, but we do not have enough volunteers right now to assign all these names that we've collected in the database. And unfortunately, this project will never end um, mm. because there are people that are murdered every single day. So... I would say if you want to get involved, please, please come out, sign up. There is no geographic limitation of where you have to be to participate in this. You just have to be willing to accept a name, sit with the work and um, be able to send that, that creation back to us so that we can, you know, give it to our community to stitch together. Love that. I will do, I will post all of this on the social media pages and I will encourage everybody from around the world, anybody who's listening to this, please get involved. It is obviously an incredibly powerful and wonderful project. And I think you will thank yourself and the world will thank you for it. So thank you for that. Stephanie, this was amazing. Thank you for all that you do and for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having us here and you know, helping me and the SJSA team bring awareness to the issues that are happening as well as you know, just let the world know that we are here and would love for them to volunteer and um, not be afraid of skill level or anything. We always have a spot for you. Hello again. Thank you so much to Stephanie for such an informative conversation. And thanks to you all for listening, of course. 
The theme of empowerment has come up a lot on this podcast, both this season and in past seasons. But what hasn't come up as often is enfranchisement and stitching to create change. Throughout the past three seasons, there have been episodes about empowerment via raising one's voice through textiles and about bringing lesser heard voices into conversations about needlework, but there's not been much on stitching that actually works to make a difference and make the world a better place. That's why I wanted SJSA to be the last interview of the season. I wanted to publicize and celebrate a group of people who are taking the ability of textiles to raise often unheard voices and using that ability to enact change. Taking textiles that extra step is hugely exciting and important to me, and I'm sure it is to you too. I also want to briefly reflect on the intergenerational framework of SJSA because the intergenerationality of needlework is something I've not yet discussed on this podcast, but it is something that appears again and again in needlework across time and culture. Sometimes it's mothers and grandmothers teaching their children and grandchildren to sew, knit, crochet, and quilt, but it's not just them. Professional embroiderers, those who didn't just stitch in the home, taught their children their craft, and so did men, and sometimes those things intersected. An example of that is Roger Nellum, an embroidery designer in 17th century London who taught his son John his craft, and then John became an embroidery designer too. And it happened with Elizabeth Marsh, a Philadelphia Quaker needlework teacher in the 18th century, who taught her daughter Anne her craft, and then Anne became perhaps America's most famous needlework teacher ever. This is all to say that needlework learning and making between generations has been happening everywhere forever. And that is so wholesome and delightful to me. The fact that in the case of SJSA, it's not just younger learning from older generations, but that the learning goes in both directions. Because really, aren't we always learning from everyone all the time? That's a bold statement, but I think it's true. And I think it's true that the collaborative nature of textile production makes that learning not only possible, but convenient and creative. And that's all I gotta say for this episode. Thank you for listening to So What, no matter if you've listened to just this episode or all 62 of them. And thank you to everyone I've had the honor of interviewing this season. I learned so much from them, and I hope you did too. What an absolute treat it's been. More than 60,000 downloads across 92 countries and 4,149 cities is a big deal to little old me, so thank you all very, very much for being a part of that. See you all in a few months or maybe sooner, whenever my historical needlework brain juices get flowing again. Now go out and stitch some stories and say goodbye to So What Season 3. Bye! Bye!